Welcome to The Word at First Prez. Over the spring and summer, we are doing a sermon series called Philosopher Kings. The goal of this sermon series is to examine the life philosophies of members of our congregation and how those life philosophies intersect with the Bible. Our hope is that you will find that everyone has something to teach us about life, faith, love, and our relationship with God. I hope you enjoy. And now let us continue our worship with our first scripture reading coming from Genesis 50, 15 through 21. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all of the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong that they did harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, we are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. I am in the... Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good, in order to preserve a numerous people, as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 21 to 27. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And then he said to them all, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world, but lose or forfeit themselves? Those who are ashamed of me and my words, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is everybody doing okay today? Good. Okay. So today we are, of course, doing a sermon series. We've been doing it for a little while now. It's called Philosopher Kings. And uh, this is, we're down to the last two of these actually, and I know it's so sad, these sermon series, they just come and go so quickly, Um, but I have heard a lot of good feedback on this. In particular, I've liked hearing that you all appreciate that it's from you guys, that really this is what you guys are driving this series. But for those of you who may not have been here or haven't been present with us or are watching online, uh, Philosopher Kings, that term comes from Plato, and he believed that the people who we should be following the best leaders in our world, those are the people who have studied philosophy. And he's not just referring to trained philosophers. He's actually talking about ordinary average people. Now, the fact is, all of you in here, every single person, 
you have a life philosophy. Whether you've thought about what that life philosophy is, that is a completely different matter. And so, back in January, I asked for you all, the congregation, to send me your life philosophies. And I assumed I received a few, but I received so many, and they were of such high quality that I was able to create an entire sermon series around them. And so each week, we look at one or more of your life philosophies, and we ask the question, where do they converge with the Bible? Where do they diverge from the Bible? And ultimately, I think you will see that you all have a lot to teach us about life, love, faith, and our relationship with God. So our philosophy today comes from Mario Alberico. And before I dive into this particular life philosophy, I'd actually like to tell you a little bit about Mario's life. Because if you don't understand what happened in his life, you can't truly appreciate and understand his life philosophy. So Mario was the seventh of nine children in his family. He was uh, part of a family. His parents were first-generation Italian immigrants. And every day, he would wake up in the morning, and he would see up on his wall a painting of a vase and flowers. And that vase and flowers was painted by his mother. His mother was not an artist, but that painting was enough to inspire him and to want to look into art as an outlet for his life. And this would become very important later on because art would very much be an emotional outlet for much of the tragedy that would come to define the early parts of his life. The day before his seventh birthday, he actually watched his father die right in front of his eyes. They were out on the softball field playing and his father collapsed right there on the field and they were unable to revive him. He was 42 years old at the time. Now, his mother, who was now tasked with raising nine children by herself, she had to figure out how to run her husband's insurance company. A business, by the way, she knew nothing about prior to this, and so she figured it out, how to get it together, because they had to survive, and survive they did. Mario, he would end up going to high school, and in high school, this is where he started to really indulge his temperament as an artist. He was there to learn from all of these wonderful art teachers who really helped to develop his artistic ability. But his art would take a dramatic turn when, at the age of 17, he developed a very intense pain in his lower back. His mom took him to the doctor, and they did some tests, and they found out that he had a very rare form of bone cancer, known as Ewing sarcoma. Now, the survival rate of somebody with Ewing sarcoma is actually statistically quite low. And if it spreads to the rest of your body, your rate of survival is non-existent. Now, in the 1970s, when Mario was diagnosed with this, it was essentially a death sentence. Because at the time, there was not a lot that they could do for it. And so usually from the time of diagnosis until you pass away, you had about two years. Now this was the 1970s when they were starting to develop some of the technology around being able to treat cancer. So they were starting to do radiation, chemotherapy. And so he even got lucky and got into a clinical trial for a brand new drug that was designed specifically to target Ewing sarcoma. So he gets into this, he's going through dozens of treatments, and in the midst of all of this, he ends up doing a series of self-portraits, the first of which you can see 
up there on the screen. Now, this self-portrait, it ended up capturing in this really dramatic way the suffering and the pain that he was going through. And his art teacher saw this, thought this needs to be seen by people, and she took it and she started entering it into all of these competitions for Mario. And it ended up winning so many prizes that it made its way up to the National High School Scholastic Competition, where it took first prize. Now, at the same time that his art was being seen by a much broader audience, the treatments were actually effective for him. And he not only was in remission, but in his own words, he was cured from his uh, disease, from the illness. Because they did a scan of his body, and what they discovered was that there was no cancer in his body whatsoever. That essentially, there was none. It was gone, which is a very rare milestone for somebody who has Ewing sarcoma. So Mario goes to college. He meets his wife, Claudia. They end up getting married. They have three children together. And although Mario does not pursue his art full time, he ends up doing art installations all across the country. But his art would take another turn when he received a phone call one day that his younger brother, Martin, had died by suicide. He was only 40 years old when this happened. Now, it just so happens, this is a strange thing, I didn't plan for it to be this way, but Martin's birthday happens to be today. Synchronicity of the spirit, as we say, right? So, Mario, when this happens, he goes out into his backyard, and he actually ends up yelling at God, like has a real argument with God, and says, you could have prevented this, you could have done something to stop this, and you chose not to. And it is out of that conversation with God that Mario created this cross that you see right here. This cross, this was supposed to represent all of the various things that he was feeling at that point in time. So you can kind of see it. Zoom in a little bit more. I want to get a little bit closer on it so everybody can see it. Keep going. So it represents all of these different faces, the things that he was feeling, the emotions. So the emptiness, the rage, the anger, the frustration, the sadness, all of those things around his brother's death. This is what he was feeling. And that's what he wanted this to represent. And Mario did a lot of other art around this as well. Now, as Mario has grown older, he's unfortunately dealt with many of the repercussions of that chemo and radiation that he had when he was in the 70s, right? Because at the time, they weren't exactly deliberate about what they were doing. Today, they know a lot more, so they just irradiated him like crazy. And so today, he's dealing with many of the repercussions around all of that. And I think here, I need to just say real quick that it is Claudia, his wife, who has helped him march through all of this. That you can't, you can't mention his story without his wife, who has been there for him through all of it. Literally a human angel, no doubt about it. Because he's been to more than 600 doctor's appointments. He's had many, many surgeries. 
He's actually gone to the emergency room so many times. Like, it's a, they know him there. I mean, like, that's how often he goes. So the fact is, he has dealt with a huge amount of suffering in his life. And if you know Mario, you know that he's a man of many words. I think he would, uh, he would definitely agree with that. But his life philosophy is actually incredibly simple. And I love his life philosophy. It is suffering transforms. Suffering transforms. I think that is a beautiful phrase because it captures both the beauty and the devastation of how suffering impacts all of us. And I have to admit that I am upset on Mario's behalf. He's not upset. He would not say this. But I am upset on his behalf at how so many people, right, can go through the world and not have to deal with so much suffering and death and how some people, like Mario, end up dealing with so much more than their fair share. It's so unbalanced. He doesn't feel that way. And part of the reason why he doesn't feel that way is because suffering really feeds into his life philosophy. It's at the core of his life philosophy. And also, it is at the core of the philosophy of the Bible about suffering. And to understand how these two things come together, his concept of suffering transforms, I need to go to our scripture for today to kind of illuminate this for you. So, the scripture I read this morning was from the Gospel of Luke. And you may remember Jesus, he's talking to his disciples, and he's telling them that they are going to have to be okay with the fact that he's going to have to go through a great deal of suffering. But he also says, hey, by the way, that suffering is not just reserved for me. It's something that you all are going to have to endure as well. Let's take a look at this scripture. We're going to look through it. So it says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. So basically, what Jesus is saying is that if you want to become one of his disciples, self-preservation is not an option. That if you sign up with him, you've got to lay everything on the line. That your life is going to be harder as a result of following him, not easier. And that if you are going to be one of his disciples, then you have to embrace sacrifice, which will often lead to suffering and sometimes even death. Now, that is not exactly the best advertisement for Jesus' movement. Would you agree with me on that? Right? Like, if you went up to a random sampling of people and you said, hey, would you intentionally choose to embrace sacrifice and suffering on a daily basis? I think 99 out of 100 people would be like, uh, thanks, but I'm going to take a hard pass on that one, right? Thanks for asking, though. Thanks for thinking of me. I really appreciate that. But I'm going to go off and do some other things. But that's exactly what Jesus is asking of us. I mean, this, this scripture right here, it's clear. This is what he wants us to do. And do you know how many Christians there are in the world? 2.2 billion. Now, if you were to ask all those people who identify as Christians whether or not they understand that this is what is being asked of them, I would say the vast majority would not be able to tell you this. And the fact is, most pastors know this is what he's talking about. But they decide, you know what, we're not going to talk about that. They will either sit there and they'll gloss over it, they'll be like, ah, he didn't mean it. Or 
They're just going to ignore it completely. They'll water it down or they'll try to make it more palatable. Because think about it for a second. If I stand up here and I say to you, believe in Jesus and you'll go to heaven when you die. That's not bad, right? Right? I mean, that's a good deal. You don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to suffer. You just believe. Bam. Taken care of, right? You don't have to do anything with that. Or even better. This is even better. Believe in Jesus and you will find wealth and success. That's even better, right? Because if I believe in Jesus and I'm going to get a nice house and a fancy car, sign me up, please. I am there, right? That's a lot of what you will hear from churches because it's way easier than this, is it not? Way easier. And more people are going to be on board with that than, hey, you got to give up everything. But that's what he wants from people. He wants his disciples to embrace sacrifice, and suffering. The question is, why? Why does he want you to do that? Well, there's a couple of different reasons. One reason is because Jesus believes that the best kind of life comes as a result of taking the difficult path over the easy path. This is important. He thinks the best kind of life comes from taking the difficult path over the easy path. Let me give you a couple examples. So let's talk about healthy living through exercise, right? Now the truth is, the vast majority of people, they take the easy route and they don't exercise. This is not a judgment against anyone, I just want you to know that I'm not up here judging. I understand it, like I get it. You work hard all day, right? Like you get up in the morning, you go to work, you work hard all day. You get home, you're exhausted, right? All you wanna do is sit down, relax, eat a meal, and go to bed. I totally get it, right? But unless you're doing some kind of physical manual labor where you're having to like do stuff all the time, that leads to a very sedentary kind of lifestyle. And over time, that can catch up with you. And the reason why we have trouble breaking out of those sedentary habits is because exercise is hard, right? Like, let's be honest. Like, you go to the gym and you do cardio or you do weights, it hurts. It, you, you are suffering. I know. I go all the time. It's the worst. So I'm telling you, it's rough, right? And if you don't go in with the mentality that physical discomfort is a good thing, then you're not going to benefit. You've got to look like this guy right here if you're going to be able to see some results, okay? Now, the same thing is true when it comes to education. Education, right? All right. Now, unless you're a genius and you can just pick up everything like that and you don't really have to study, chances are you're going to have to work at your classes to learn the information, right? Otherwise, you're not going to pass your classes. So what does that mean? What that means is you're going to have to sacrifice your time. So you may want to go out and do a lot of other things, right? But you got to sacrifice. you got to make the choice. Okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to study. And that results in suffering sometimes, doesn't it? Because it's the suffering of wanting to be somewhere else or the suffering of this is really hard to learn mentally and I can't quite get my mind around it. So that happens. Same thing's true with relationships. The best kind of relationships are those where you can work through the disagreements that you come across in a very functional kind of way, right? When you're able to really take the time, because don't, I mean, conflict, it inevitably arises, am I right? All the time, it doesn't matter. I've never seen a relationship where that hasn't happened. 
Funny enough, I, did, I went on a mission trip one time, and there was a guy who we went to see in a nursing home, and he was, he, he was talking about his wife, and he's like, we never argued in the entire time we were married. And the woman I was with whispered to me, was she alive when like, they were together? <laughs> so if you're, you, you have to be willing, right? The best kind of relationships are those that it takes work, it takes effort, it takes compromise. You have to be willing to work through those hard points and you have to be willing to sacrifice your needs, wants, and desires for the benefit of your partner and the person who you're with. And this can be in friendships as well. Same thing's true in your professional career. Okay, going through your professional career, you need to be a moral, ethical person. And that can be hard sometimes because sometimes the things that you end up doing, it's not popular and it can even go against the best interests of your company, but you need to do that. And the idea is, I use all these examples to say, the best kind of life, almost always, comes as a result of taking the hard path over the easy path. So that's one reason why Jesus wants you to do this. Another reason is that when you suffer, it tends to give you a greater perspective on the world. So as an example, suffering tends to collapse a lot of those minor grievances that we can kind of focus on in our lives. So, you know, when things are going well, when things are going fine, you know, you can just sit there and be like, ah, you know, I can focus on all these like little things that don't matter. Like, because you have the ability to do so. But when you're suffering, you realize, wow, these things are not, these, these are inconsequential. Like, when you're sick, right? Like, you, you notice how when you get like really sick, you get the flu or something like that? All that stuff you were worried about before, you don't think about it at all. Am I right? Like, you're just like, I just got to get well. And you realize none of that stuff matters. It's just inconsequential. So by suffering, it actually allows you to appreciate the meaning and the purpose of life so much more. And we actually see this in the scripture reading today we read from Genesis. This is the story of Joseph. Now, I actually talked about Joseph a couple weeks ago when we talked about Anne Rand. So I'm not going to go through the entire uh, story again. I'm just going to give you the high points. Is that okay with you guys? I mean, I could go through it all again, but I think you're okay. Particularly TC, he's okay with that, right? <laughs> Completely fine. <laughs> okay, so essentially what happens is Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. And when he's sold into slavery, he ends up going down to Egypt. He certainly suffers while he is there in the midst of all of that. And then he rises up to become the second most powerful man in Egypt. He stores up grain during the years of plenty so that the population can survive during the years of famine. And this also allows his family to survive because they were going to perish with the famine as well. He is reunited with his family. And after they come back together, they're all very happy. But then the father dies, Jacob. He passes away. And, you know, the brothers are like, uh-oh, this is not good for us because, you know, we, we sold our brother into slavery and now he's going to seek retribution on us. So they make up a lie. And they say, look, hey, before dad died, he said, let bygones be bygones, right? Like, we're just going to put all that in the past. And, of course, Joseph, he knows this is a lie. It doesn't matter to him, though. Because through all the suffering he's been through, he's come to realize this is inconsequential. It doesn't really matter. What matters 
is the fact that we're together, that we have a family, right? And he says this thing that is so incredibly profound. Like, to me, this is one of the most important scriptures in the entire Bible. And he says, you intended it for evil, but God intended, or you can translate it, used it for good. And I think that is so important. To me, this scripture is the foundation for what you find in the New Testament. And here's the principle of it. The principle is, God does not want you to suffer. So I think people, particularly Christians, have this messed up idea that God orchestrates suffering in our lives. So do you think that God chose for Mario's father to die when he was seven? That God decided that was going to happen, or God decided that Mario was going to get cancer at the age of 17, or that God decided that his brother Martin was going to commit suicide, or that God decided that he would be suffering the way he has for the last 10 years. No. That is not the God I believe in. I do not believe in a God that would orchestrate such things. But the reality is, suffering is a part of our lives, is it not? It's inherent to the human condition. And a lot of it comes out of the fact that we have been given free choice in the world. Look at this. You intended it for evil. His brothers made a choice, right, to do that to him. And it happened. And so God has to take that and use it for something better than it was intended for. And to explain to you how God takes something that is bad in our world and use it for good, I have to explain to you how there's two different kinds of suffering we can go through. Okay? The one kind of suffering is the suffering that the world imposes on you. So that would be things like natural disasters. You all probably have seen in the news what happened over in Europe with that massive flooding. More than 90 people have died. It's awful what has occurred over there. They didn't plan for that. I don't think God planned for that. It happens, right? Another example would be illness and disease, what we've been talking about with Mario and what he's been going through. Another example would be the way people impose things on us, the way people hurt us. This would be like what happened with Joseph and his brothers, right? How they came after him and made this decision. He did not make that decision. It happened to him. And the final one, and this is one where you all might disagree with me, is the mental suffering that we can go through. How sometimes when the world comes at us and all of these things pile on, that mentally we can make decisions that hurt us, like what happened with Mario's brother. Now, I think all of these things that I have just mentioned to you, they are all things that God wishes you didn't have to go through. That it actually hurts God's spirit to see you suffer in that way. This is nothing that God wants you to have to endure. The second kind of suffering that we can go through is the suffering that we choose to go through for the benefit of other people. It's the suffering that we decide, I'm going to do this to help people who are in need. Great example of this, PADS program. Okay, for those of you who don't know PADS, PADS is our program to help the homeless here. Now, over the past year, we haven't really been doing PADS in the same way because they've been in hotels during the pandemic. And you guys, by the way, I just want to say thank you to all of you who stepped up and helped out with the, you know, getting the food together for that every Tuesday. You know, you guys are great that you stepped up and you made that happen so that they could eat. But normally the way PAD works is that 
Every Tuesday night, the homeless come to our church, right? They get a meal, they sleep overnight, we provide them with food in the morning and a lunch for the afternoon. And what that requires is volunteers. You have to come here. People have to stay overnight. You have to be present here. And that requires sacrifice on your part, does it not? I mean, you got to be here in the evening. It throws you off your sleep schedule. You can be groggy the next day. I've done it a number of times. It's suffering. It's minor, but it's suffering. And you choose to do that for the benefit of those who need it. Make sense? You with me? All right. Those two types of suffering, God has to take both of those and use them for good. Now, the obvious one that can be used for good is what I just talked about, right? Where you sacrifice for the benefit of others. When you do that, you do exactly what Jesus asks of us, where you go out and you change the world for the better. You help the least and the lost. When you sacrifice your resources, your time, your talent, your treasure, that makes a difference in the world. And you know what comes out of that? I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but it happens to me all the time, that when you really serve someone you actually get to see this amazing beauty in these people. You get to see the beauty in who they are, and they get to see a beauty in you in this exchange. In the 12 years I've been a pastor, this is the thing I love the most about doing my job, is to see that beauty in the world there. Now, the other type of suffering, right? The suffering the world imposes on us. How does God use that for good? Well, that's a different kind of thing. Because what happens is, most of what's happening inside of you is internal. And this is where God allows you to find deep beauty within yourself. And this is what I'm talking about with Mario and his story, right? He went through this enormous suffering in his life, and it transformed him internally. And thankfully, because he's an artist, we can see some of the beauty out in the world. But most of the time, it's internal. And this is what he means by suffering transforms. It transforms us by changing who we are inside, and it changes the world outside. And this is the crazy thing. I think one of the most odd paradoxes of human life is that out of terrible suffering comes amazing beauty. It is a strange paradox, is it not? Because you wouldn't think that would be the case, right? You would think that if I gave you everything, that if I gave you a good life where you never suffered and you never went through anything hard, that you would really appreciate everything in the world. But that's not the way it works. Interestingly enough, the way it works is that you don't know what you don't know. Because life is a matter of contrast, isn't it? So, if you're going to truly appreciate the beauty and the goodness the world has to offer, you have to go through hardship. And generally speaking, the greater the hardship, the more you're able to see that beauty and goodness in the world. Now, sometimes that hardship breaks you, like what happened with, Martin's, with Martin. It can break you. And it does. It does break people. But most of the time, what happens is that it actually allows you to see the beauty in the world in ways that you never would. And so for me, when I look at the reason why Jesus asks us, remember, what's the whole point? Jesus says, you're going to be my disciple. You're going to call yourself a Christian. You have to embrace sacrifice and suffering. Why? Okay, first reason was you got to choose the difficult life over the easy life, right? The difficult path over the easy path. Better life that way. It gives you more perspective on life. And finally, it is 
through sacrifice and suffering. When you sacrifice, that leads to suffering sometimes. And suffering allows you to see beauty. And beauty is where you see God's presence in the world. Do you hear me? I'm going to do that again. When you sacrifice, that can lead to suffering. And suffering, that can lead to you seeing the beauty in the world and in yourself. And that beauty is where you find God. And so this is how I want to end this morning. I want to end by asking you to change your attitude towards suffering. Because so often, and this is understandable, we run from suffering, do we not? We absolutely turn around and go in the other direction. And this is understandable. What I say? 99 out of 100 people, you ask them, hey, do you want to endure sacrifice and suffering on a daily basis? They'd say, no thanks. And I'm not saying you need to seek out suffering. What I am saying, though, is that suffering transforms you into the person who God intended you to be. And so, if you run from that suffering, or you're not willing to learn from it, because I've seen people who suffer and they turn bitter. They become hardened towards the world. And you have a choice. You have a choice to take that suffering and to allow it to transform you into this other person. The person who can live out the gospel and who can make the world a better place. That saying from Joseph where he says, right, you intended it for evil, but God used it for good, that's how that happens, is when you allow the suffering to transform the person who you are. I know that's a hard ask. I know that's not something that we all want to do. But trust me, if you are willing to allow that to happen, if you are willing to allow that suffering to turn you into this person who sees the beauty in the world and the beauty inside of yourself, then truly you will be a person who can change the world for the better and you are going to bring that saying to life. You intended it for evil, but God used it for good. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.